Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, Everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Hello and welcome back to Tennis Unfiltered with me, James Gray of inews.co.uk and the iNewspaper. I've got George Belshaw with me today, uh, I'm delighted to say, from his brand new flat, uh, which we will, I'm sure, hear more about once he's presumably injured himself trying to do some flat pack <laughs> furniture. Uh, we're going to talk mostly today about the men's semi-finals from Friday night. We'll also look ahead to the women's final, which is only about 12 hours away. So um, it may already have happened by the time you listen to this, as it seems to be my life saying these days. But nevertheless, hopefully something enjoyable. Um, George, you've got a lovely picture of that Grand Central Station in the background. It looks like the kind of thing that's definitely come like standard with your flat. The, the picture behind me. It's uh, it was actually left by the previous tenant, um, so <laughs> I have I've kind of put it up so I've got something up for the time being before I bring all my stuff here next weekend. But very good. I've seen very worse. Good. I've seen well, worse. I'm glad you have a house now. At least that is that is something. Um, let's waste no more time talking about George's domestic situation. Feel like it dominates more of my life than my own situation at the moment. Um, Novak Djokovic and Daniil Medvedev booked their places in the US Open final last night. Novak Djokovic beating Ben Shelton 6-3, 6-2, 7-6, and then firmly putting the phone down on him uh, before Daniil Medvedev beat Carlos Alcaraz 7-6, 6-1, in a result that not many people saw coming, certainly not anyone on this podcast. Um, George, let's start with the most recent one, the Medvedev result, because it was the shock of the night, I think we're right in saying. Um, Alcaraz obviously won the last five sets between these two, albeit, as Calvin referenced yesterday, not in conditions that suit Daniil Medvedev. He actually said yesterday, talking about Indian Wells, he's like, it's amazing I can even hit the ball there, never mind make the final. Um, Daniil Medvedev loves New York, George, and, and sometimes New York loves him. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm going to big myself up here and say I've been the person on the podcast most fancying Medvedev's chances in New York. I haven't gone outright, to be fair, but 
you know, there's not been much evidence to go on, but, you know, I think Calvin said he was going to go out in the first couple of rounds, potentially. I don't think so he that... said he was. I think he said he could. <laughs> well, anyway, he was wrong. Um, but, yeah, I, I I think he just feels very comfortable on these courts. And, um, you know, I... I it, He's gone through a lot of things with this crowd as well. You know, when he was kind of reaching that final where he faced Nadal, he kind of had a lot of back and forth during the tournament um, and still was able to kind of pull big matches together. It didn't feel like any potential adversity in that sort of scenario was going to um, halt him in his tracks. And yeah, I, I think he just likes the conditions. He he's, he is a brilliant hardcore player. I mean, I know we watched him play on the grass courts earlier this year that that was never going to be his strong point i think the biggest surprise there was actually more how well alcaraz had adapted to that surface given he, he'd not playing it too much but you know this is right in medvedev's wheelhouse bit of a kind of medium slow hardcore he can kind of get on top of the ball be very consistent um he served very well i think that's going to be really important in his matchup with alcaraz he has to has to serve well. I think, I think the quote that stuck out for me was that he was saying he needed to play 11 out of 10 to win and then he said he'd play 12 out of 10. And that there's probably a degree of truth in that as well. Um, but I think, you know, more importantly, I, I think this is quite an important result for men's tennis in some ways. I know we've all wanted the Djokovic-Alcaraz final and that is a good thing. But looking forward, the idea of having a very one-sided Alcaraz-Medvedev rivalry is not very good for tennis. You know, Medvedev is streets ahead of other players on hard courts who aren't Novak Djokovic and Carlos Alcaraz. Um, so the idea of him being thumped again um, and clearly being the third best player in the world, but so far off number two, um, wouldn't have been such a, a pretty sight. So I think this, while I'm sure there'll be a lot of disappointment, it's not Djokovic Alcaraz again. That felt like the finale, the Grand Slam season needed. Um, I wouldn't rule out Medvedev winning that final as well. Yeah, and I think that the match itself, without looking forward to Sunday's final too much quite yet, I think the match itself was, was thrilling. I mean, some of the noises, I got home from the rugby very late because it was a very late kickoff, and so I, I didn't even get home until the second set of uh, Medvedev-Alcaraz, which was at about, I don't know, half one in the morning, Paris time. That is pretty late. But the, yeah, the noise, uh, the noise in, in Al-Tharash, was serious. I mean, electric. And okay, it's Friday night. It's always the biggest crowd of the, frankly, the biggest crowd and the kind of most raucous crowd uh, of the US Open. But I think Medvedev captures the imagination there, partly because of the kind of arc he's had. You know, he won obviously the US Open, but he was very unpopular when he first started playing the US Open for whatever reason. You know, he rubbed the crowd up the wrong way and he used to tell them, bring on the booze, bring on the booze. And there was some of that last night, you know, clearly it was an Alcaraz crowd. And when Medvedev won some big points, he was throwing his arms up saying, why aren't you getting excited? I mean, that one I sent to the group this morning, George, that there's so much you could talk about in that point. But, you know, Alcaraz is serving position because he's really wide in the, the ad court. And obviously Medvedev's way back. And then, you know, there's there's a classic bad Alcaraz volley in there, which Medvedev then makes an incredible passing shot off. But... The thing that stood out for me was just him standing up at the end and saying, I can do this. I'm really good. Why aren't you a bit more behind me? And I love him for that. Like, I really love the way, you know, because it, it is sort of pantomime villainry. It's not 
full on like, oh, screw you, New York. I hate it here. I'm never coming back. It is kind of like, oh, why don't they like me? Why don't they like me? And he knows they actually do like him. So it, it's, I think, as you say, George, it is good for men's tennis because he's a really different character. And I think he is quite different, especially from Alcaraz, who's a bit more raw and just enthusiastic. And Medvedev's quite quirky and just, I think it makes his tennis better to watch because it's it's weird to watch when the ball's in play and it's weird to watch when it isn't. Yeah, I think you touched on something important there in terms of their personalities. I, I think Alcaraz has a lot of personality on the court and he's very energetic and very exciting and he, he almost speaks through his tennis, but he's kind of developing that personality off the court, I would say. You know, he is a bit young, he's a bit... Um, you know, his English isn't perfect yet which you know is totally fine and understandable it's much better than my spanish so i'm not not a dig or anything but you know this medvedev is kind of the other way around whereas tennis can be a bit laborious can be a little bit um you know dull on the eye if the wrong opponents at the other end of the court i actually think these two like alcraz Djokovic, do match up quite well in terms of how they look you know it, it is quite an exciting frantic match when it's in full flow um but he's such an interesting character off it and as you say james he kind of revels in that that pantomime villainry um yeah so i i think all in all we can, we can be pretty happy with that and i i was getting a bit worried from Medvedev; he would be sort of drifting off into the abyss and maybe not be getting himself in these nice positions um which i, I guess is just our classic short-termism you know, players like Medvedev will always be kick it around at the top of the game even if, if ultimately we expect Alcaraz to start rushing off away with everything at some point yeah and I think the, the the number of things I mean Alcaraz said he was really impressed by Medvedev's forehand afterwards I mean we know Medvedev has a great forehand I think the conditions in New York do suit him because the ball doesn't fly you know he can force it from the back of the court and without too much concern about it flying long um, the humidity probably helps him in that sense as well, especially like later in the evening when the humidity can, I think, get a bit worse, to be honest. Because And also in Arthur Ashe, where it's such a big stadium that the, the, there's no air moving through it. You know, I was in the Stade de France last night, which is also a big stadium where the air doesn't move through it. And it was 11 o'clock at night and still swelteringly humid. Uh, and I think Arthur Ashe mm. has similar characteristics in that sense. So, so that certainly suits him. I was also blown away by his movement. You know, he he he's a big guy. He's not someone we associate with being a particularly good mover. But Alcaraz was dropping him and lobbing him. And Medvedev was getting up and down. He didn't always win those points, but he was always getting there one way or another. Um, so I don't know if he's evolved as a player, Medvedev. I know, I know we've talked previously about him maybe his game style may be stagnating a little bit and people may be working it out and him not evolving, but whatever he's doing, he's doing it as well as I think he ever has. Um, which brings us on to Novak Djokovic because Medvedev said, when you beat Djokovic, he's always better the next time you play him. I'm going to have to be the best version of myself to beat him. Uh, do you think Novak Djokovic was the best version of himself against Ben Shelton, George, who probably didn't cause him the problems we had hoped Shelton might just in terms of entertainment, but did get under his skin a little bit, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, we just spoke about Medvedev leaning into the role of the villain, and I, I thought Novak's kind of telephone put down at the end was really good. I mean, that's exactly the sort of thing you do kind of want in sport, is that little bit of uh, sniping, that little bit of bite. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, it was immediately very shareable, and people 
have enjoyed and you know the more novak leans into that sort of thing i think the better um look i i think novak's played bloody well all, all year hasn't he at slam level um we're talking about him losing one four and a half hour five set wimbledon final in grand slams so far this year that's about as good as it gets and there's there's not been too many matches during those runs that i've thought god novak's having a stinker today um yeah he has been pretty pretty shit hot for want of a better phrase uh, medvedev's point about kind of playing him again is quite interesting um i think there's definitely a degree of truth to that um but the, but on the other hand this is a court where novak has struggled in the finals you know if we're if you look at his record in total at grand slams he's he's reached 10 finals at the australian open and won all 10 he's reached just as many here and only won three so far um you know he's got a better conversion rate at wimbledon probably seven and nine or something like that and at the french he'll obviously have a worse conversion rate due to rafael nadal but still probably not as bad a conversion rate as he does at the us open and when you kind of consider Novak's game and how good he's been on hard courts, and he's obviously still pretty good here because he's reached so many finals. So, you know, it's always a bit of a harsh point to say he's not going over the line. But considering how good he is in big moments, this is the court where it has gone wrong the most times. Um, mm. So I think that will be interesting because particularly the last time they played each other, it it went probably as wrong as it's ever gone. I can't really remember a final that's, been so one-sided with with Novak in really um and he played very poorly and he, he was overawed by the occasion where he was going for that golden sorry calendar slam obviously it wasn't the golden slam because he just had similar issues at the Olympics as well and it did kind of feel it got on top of him and you know maybe losing the match to Alcaraz at Wimbledon might help from that perspective in the sense of Okay, it is going for Margaret Court's record, which is obviously a historic moment, but the calendar slam has felt quite a big thing to him, whereas I don't know if just notching another one on the on the bedpost, if you like, is is as dramatic for him. Um, maybe it'll feel like number 25 will be a tough one to get over. But yeah, I'd, I'd make him the favourite, but it's still a very, very close matchup between the two of them as it has been the last few times, I think. I think it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, look, let's not beat around the bush in terms of the finally lost to Medvedev here. Last time um, he bottled it. Um, I, I really do think that he he said the pressure, he pretty much admitted as much afterwards as well. The pressure got to him. Um, it's interesting as well how many different opponents he's played in the US Open final. He's played Federer, he's played Nadal, he's played Stan, he's played Murray, he's played Medvedev, obviously, in, in those ones that he's lost, um, which does suggest there's something a little bit different about that particular final. To him, do I think the the twenty four is as big a thing as Calendar Slam? No, I think probably it isn't to him because I don't. And actually, you know, the reality is Margaret Court does not hold a record that Novak Djokovic is going to break. Like it's not the same record. He his twenty four Grand Slams will not be the same as Margaret Court's twenty four Grand Slams. A lot of which were you know won in an era when no one went to Australia when. It didn't really matter the Australian Open. It, you know, it, even when I spoke to Martina Navratilova earlier, um, just before the US Open, we, I was talking about peaking for slams, and she was like, "Well, we didn't really peak for slams. Like, you could go and win a tournament in Washington and make more money than if you won the Australian Open." So, 
I wasn't that bothered about it. And and you know, anyway, that that's a tangent I don't want to get sucked into too much. Um, I think this will be a big moment for Djokovic, though. <clears throat> I think what's crucial is that Alcaraz, the kind of accession of Alcaraz, has helped Djokovic go under the radar a bit. Like I feel like if Alcaraz wasn't there at this tournament, the only player we would have been talking about on the men's side is Novak Djokovic. And all we would have been talking about is 24. But because Alcaraz is there and because he's so popular, both in the media and with fans, it adds a whole new element. And similarly, Coco Goff, I think that's taken a bit of the pressure off it. The American men going quite deep, people talking about Ben Shelton a lot. For all that Novak likes to play the victim sometimes uh, or, you know, use that kind of siege mentality. He he does actually quite like not being the centre of attention and almost having to force his way into the centre of attention, I think. There's also a degree to which the, none of Novak's matches on paper have been that newsworthy or interesting, have they, really? I know, <laughs> there was, <clears throat> which sounds a bit harsh. I mean, Ben Shelton was probably the most interesting one on paper, given it was this young American on home soil in a semi-final trying to make it. But the reality was, and I've seen a few, I can't remember who exactly used this quote, but someone said it was like a first round match for Novak. You know, that that's how it felt. He was kind of plucky player that he knew he was going to dominate, didn't really need to get out of... I mean, obviously his gears are so high anyway, not coming out of first gear for Djokovic is still... Yeah, you know, it's, a, it's a big gear, rig, but, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, he's not really had that matchup or that test that you've been looking at and thinking, oh, he's overcome a lot there. Um, so I, I, that can that can sometimes work against you. I know he had, was it Laszlo Jerry had two sets against earlier in the tournament? Yeah, um, I mean, he sorry, was two sets, sets down, it went to five. Two. But it was one of those weird, like, Djokovic five-setters where... That was more of a no-back played... one, wasn't it? <laughs> Precisely. Um, so yeah, I mean... You'd think Medvedev will come in sharper, but equally he's had to go through a much tougher semi-final. Novak's probably fresher. Um, but yeah, I, I think Medvedev will probably look at the match and think he's come through matches he's not done well in in the past, like Dimonor, um, Alcaraz, obviously. So to actually win those against players you've not got great head-to-heads against, I, I think will breed a lot of confidence for him plus knowing what happened last time. Um, but yeah, I mean, Novak's been so hot at the slams this year. I, I, I think it would still be hard not to make him the, the slight favourite. But I think their games match up so evenly now. There was a great match. Um, I can't actually remember where it was, but it was back end of last year where they played two blinding sets and then Medvedev left um, the court with a kind of um, quad injury, I think. But the, the level was so superb between the two of them. It was... A back-end indoor event. Astana. Astana. There we go. Um, You know, Medvedev knows he can go toe-to-toe with Djokovic. I I do think this is a bit of a 50-50 battle, generally speaking. I just kind of expect Novak, despite all the potential US evidence, to probably just handle this one a bit better and be really up for it, as Medvedev says, given the... uh, disappointment the last time they met him yeah i think he might just handle him as well i think it might be straight sets i think it might be quite unedifying much as i'd like it to be because every basically every time i've got excited for a Djokovic match at this tournament he's gubbed them 
like Fritz and Shelton and the rest of it. He's just absolutely annihilated them. So um, even even Laz Leger, he actually did batter him. It just took him two sets to warm up. Uh, and then he beat him and he lost <laughs> about five games after that. So, um, yeah. Anyway, uh, exciting to see how that one plays out on Sunday night. Um, we should talk about Saturday night, George, because we've got a women's final, uh, which I'm not saying is the dream final, but in terms of entertainment, in terms of storylines and everything like that, I think this is about as good as it gets. New World number one, um, that is guaranteed that Arena Sarolenka will be number one on Monday. She's the reigning Australian Open champion. She's been one of the best players, if not the best player in the world this year. And she's playing Coco Goff, um, the teenage sensation we can still say somehow, uh, who's been on tour for five years. Uh, how do you see this playing out, George? Because what I kind of thought about the Ostapenko match, for example, with Goff is she went in with a very clear game plan, um, which was to push Ostapenko back, get the ball bouncing high, like just trying to get her off the baseline and to, you know, and kind of give herself the time back that Ostapenko often takes away. And it worked very well, and it worked straight away, and she was never retested in that game plan. I suspect it might be a similar game plan against Sabalenka to try and push her back in the same way, but she's probably going to have to be pretty resilient with it because it might not work from ball one. Yeah, I... As much as I love Ostapenko, and when she's on, she's on. Um, when she's not, she's n- really not, and <laughs> can collapse quite quickly. Um, you know, Sabalenka's semi-final with Keys was quite interesting, wasn't it? I mean, she really didn't get going in that first set at all. Um, and the Sabalenka of old, you're probably thinking, folds and loses that six love, six three or something. Um, and, you know, fair play to Madison Keys. I thought she played a really good match, um, made it really tough. But I think I think this is a newer, more grittier version of Sabalenka, um, who can kind of dial it down and hang in on top of the kind of huge shot making she's got as well. So I, I wouldn't necessarily advise the same sort of tactics um, as she tried against Ostapenko because she might just end up getting kind of battered through to be honest um but i do think it'll be an interesting match um i think as you said this probably would be actually if you could handpick a final at the us open in terms of the broader sport and kind of growing it this probably would be it um you know probably the only other option would be changing sabalenka for sviontek you know those are mm. the two best female players in the game right now um and goff is the biggest star in the women's game still i think um even though she's not had the success of the others, she's just got that star quality and particularly being on home soil. Um, you know, it's, it's about as good as it gets, really. Um, it's it's kind of hard to say exactly what needs to happen for, for one or the other to win this match. I think the, the big issues for both, one will be the crowd for Sabalenka. I think that will add a, a degree of pressure that, she might not have experienced in some ways, like which is maybe a bit weird to say, but you know, I've been in that crowd behind kind of Serena Williams, for example. That is a really, really, really tough experience when you play mm. that sort of match. Um, and I suspect that crowd will be pretty bang up for it for Coco Goff as well. They know who she is, they'll want to be right up for it. I think that will play quite a big impact. Um, so I think how Sabalenka handles that's going to be the big thing from her end. Um, you know, 
for all as good as she's been, there have been mental cracks this year. The Bukova match, um, or Mukova, sorry. Um, you know, it's not so long ago her serve was kind of collapsing under a lot of pressure all the time. You know, that sort of thing can creep back in when you're dealing with tougher external surroundings. So I think just how she kind of handles the occasions probably got a big the big thing for her. Um, I think Goff, in some ways, I kind of back her to handle the occasions just more will that forehand hold up against Sabalenka? Obviously, a lot of improvement has happened, or at least it's been masked much better one way or another. Um, her athleticism will be fine. I think she'll handle the occasion okay. I just think the bigger issue for Goff is that Sabalenka's quality is higher at this moment in time. I think she's got more ways to win the point than Goff, um, and I think she's got more firepower to kind of blow her off the court um but that said goff has been winning a lot bred a lot of confidence um i think it's a really close match a tough one to call to be honest yeah i'm struggling with it as well really um because i think it is quite a good you know they say in boxing styles make fights um and i i think it is quite a good stylistic matchup because sampleg is going to hit it hard and goff's going to run after it and i think when when you get those kind of um those kind of styles, I think they do match up pretty well. My fear is that they both need to play well at the same time. And I, I really don't want it to be one of those matches because they both have, I think, you know, Calvin often talks about your six out of 10 level is what wins you tournaments. And I think both of them have a really bad six out of 10 level, if that makes sense. Like, as we saw with Savalenka in the semi-final... Uh, and as we've seen with Goff on various occasions, not least the last time she played Savalenka when she lost, I think, um, she not lose four in love in like Indian Wells. Have I made that up? I don't think anyone would deny that Coco Goff's bottom level is really bad, and that and that it, we haven't seen much of it this summer, but it it does exist. As you say, I think she's she's mature enough and sensible enough so that she'll handle the pressure and the atmosphere. But um, that's my worry that it might be like two six six three six four in either direction, and it it might lack a bit of quality in that sense. But I, I desperately hope it doesn't. Um, but that that would be my one theory. If I had to pick a winner at this point, I think I'd pick Savalenka probably for the same reasons you said, George, that she's got more ways to win. Yeah. I, I, I think I, I probably would favour Savalenka as well, although I'm, I'm wanting Goff to win from my fantasy team being titled Goff with their heads, you know. Mm. The player you make the putt of your team on winning the title, I think, should earn you an extra 50 points, personally. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the other thing I was going to just say about Goff is she's she's had a lot of what I'd call big matches at the US Open before, and they've not all not all gone well, have they? I mean, she has got experience of it going quite badly. Um, I'm yeah. thinking kind of that first big one with Osaka where there was that post-match interview where they were um, kind of on court and Naomi helped... Coco speak a bit and she was in tears and really obsessed about how it had gone and that you know that that was a big blow because going into that match you're thinking that's that's gonna be a cracker um mm. it, it failed to deliver it can go again it can go either way when you're in that situation um coming back to it um I like to think Goth is pretty pretty headstrong and mature and will kind of um have learned from that sort of thing but also that can live at the back of your mind where you're thinking Oh God! I hope that doesn't happen again. Um, you know that was 
really embarrassing. <laughs> and, you know, Sabalenka has got similar weapons to Osaka, so um, that sort of thing can happen. Hmm. Right, it's come to that time, George. Uh, pick the splinters out your ass and uh, make a prediction. Uh, I'm going to need both a winner and a number of sets from you, please. Am I doing both finals? Because I don't think I gave my first one, did I? Either. So I... Yeah, of course. So I think Djokovic is going to win the men's in four sets. I think Sabalenka is going to win the women's in three sets. Um, I think Djokovic in five. Uh, that might be wishful thinking. I, I am worried about the idea that he might absolutely handle Medvedev and, and do what he's done all tournament mostly. But I just think that mental edge, or the lack of mental edge, I guess, that Djokovic has in this particular matchup in this venue and the scar tissue maybe of 2021, I don't know. It, it it might be the total opposite. And Medvedev does say every time you beat him, he plays better the next time. So I don't know. Um, but yeah, Djokovic in five. And then I think probably Sabalenka in three as well, for the reasons I said, I, th- I think might end up with two quite one-sided sets. And then hopefully like a really cracking third set. That that would at least uh, give it some pizzazz, I hope. Um, but we'll see. That's the great thing about sport is you always find out uh, at the end. George, thank you very much for joining me. I hope you... Uh, have an enjoyable afternoon building flat pack furniture and you don't manage to injure yourself, although I look forward to finding out exactly how you do. Uh, and I look forward to you coming back to listen to us uh, next time, whether that be tomorrow, Monday, in a couple of months, however long you need. Um, just make sure you come back at some point. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Jumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Jumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.